Welcome to Jumpstart Your Joy. This season is all about intentional comfort, and we'll be taking a look at the crossroads of the inspiration, intention, and action that you can take to bring more comfort and joy to your everyday. This is your host, Paula Jenkins. Welcome to episode 296 here on Jumpstart Your Joy. This week on the show, I am so delighted to be bringing you the first interview for season seven, and it is with author and yoga practitioner, Pamela Selig. I'm excited she just released her brand new book in September of 2021, and it's titled Threads of Yoga, Themes, Reflections, and Meditations to Weave into Your Practice. What delights me the most about this book and our conversation is that Pamela does a very beautiful job of weaving in the themes and ideas of yoga into both the physical practice of yoga, of course, but also into the meditative and mindfulness pieces of yoga as well. And so what that means for you is whether or not you are currently practicing yoga, I know there's going to be something for you to glean from this conversation because we talk about the importance of breath and breathing to calm down and calm your nervous system. We also dive into discussing how meditation and various kinds of meditation can help And we talk about how we can all lean into santosha, which means contentment or gratitude in Sanskrit, and how that can bring us more joy. Of course, I feel like this weaves in so beautifully with the theme for season seven, which is all about intentional comfort and joy. And this conversation is such a perfect way to start off the season itself. Before we get to that conversation with Pamela, I want to wish you all a very warm welcome and say thank you so much for coming back for season seven and tuning in each week here at Jumpstart Your Joy. It's such a delight to be able to do this show and getting to play with these themes brings me a lot of contentment and a lot of happiness. If you want to find out more about the show, about myself, or find the episode notes for this episode, you can find them all on the website, which is jumpstartyourjoy.com. If you want a deep link for the episode notes themselves, they'll be at jumpstartyourjoy.com forward slash episode 296. On that page, you will find a link to Pamela's book, and you'll also get a link over to a centering prayer meditation that I did, and it's on Insight Timer. While you're on the website, I also encourage you to sign up for my newsletter, which comes out weekly as new episodes come out. It's a a great way to get the reminder. And it also will give you five other joyful things or um, comforting things to consider each week. The other exciting bit of news is that the book that I wrote this year, Jumpstart Your Joy, Heart-Centered Ways to Find Joy in the Messy Middle, also just came out as an ebook that you can purchase on my website, which you can find under the book tab on the website as well. And so that's it for housekeeping. And I'd love to give you a little bit of background about Pamela Steelig before she comes on the show. Pamela began her yoga journey more than 25 years ago when an illness interrupted her Wall Street career. She was diagnosed with Bell's palsy, which you'll hear us talk about. 
And as part of her recovery from that diagnosis, she she began meditating, and it brought her some startling results. Not only did it speed up her recovery, but the impact of meditating during that time in her life led to a lifelong pursuit of sharing yogic wisdom with others. She eventually trained at the Integral Yoga Institute in New York and then began teaching yoga to friends at a local convent in New Jersey. In 2009, she opened Lotus Mind and Body, a thriving yoga studio in her community, and after running it for nine years, she sold it so that she could focus her time and energy on her brand new book, Threads of Yoga, Themes, Reflections, and Meditations to Weave into Your Practice. I'm so delighted to have you here. Welcome to Jumpstart Your Joy, Pamela. Oh, thank you for having me, Paula. Yeah, congratulations on your new book. It's a real delight to read it, and I'm so glad that you've shared it with us. It's great to be here. Would you, before we get started about talking about your book and about yoga, would you tell us about what you loved most as a child or in school? What were your earliest sparks of joy? Oh, gosh. Well, I think for me, it's a combination of probably reading. I just loved to get lost in a book, but also movement, sports. When I was a kid, we just went outside and played. We had a neighborhood with tons of kids, so we just played baseball or basketball or hide-and-seek. And I think it was the combination of being active and then getting lost in a book. The two of those things really kept me happy. I could totally relate because I definitely had both of those things in my childhood as well. There was something wonderful about getting lost, sometimes actually lost, in the woods behind our house. Your book, Threads of Yoga, came out September 28th, and I really loved reading about how you found your way into yoga as a practice. Well, for me, it was a reluctant entrance into yoga and meditation. Working in my 20s, it was in the 80s, I was working on Wall Street in a very high-stress job and not really living a balanced lifestyle, and my health started to suffer. And One day I had a very bad headache and went to sleep, woke up, and I had half of my face was paralyzed, which of course freaked me out. I went to the emergency room and I learned that I had Bell's palsy, which I'd never heard of before, but it's not uncommon and um, kind of relieved. It's not life-threatening. The doctors told me it would probably get better, but it may not. So it was scary and dramatic, obviously, because it was my face. And there was really no therapy. I had to just wait uh, for months and see if it would come back. So I went to see a lot of doctors and I thought I could do something. So I kept trying to do something. And one uh, kind doctor asked me if I had ever tried meditation or alternative medicines. So back in the 80s, I had no idea what alternative meant. I thought meditation was a little bit wacko, but I was desperate. So there was no internet back then. So I read a couple of books, but I couldn't really read because I had one eye that only worked. So, or I had to tape my eyelid closed. So I didn't read much, but I just started meditating and I didn't start slowly. I went right in like that, you know, I thought you would just meditate for hours. I just didn't know any better. Plus I was sort of that personality still kind of unbalanced. (laughs) But I did love it and really got into it and had some strange things occur that I didn't understand at that time, which made me very curious. So that was my entree in. 
at that time, I didn't know meditation was part of yoga. It was really the central aspect of yoga. So I didn't connect the two physical postures in yoga and meditation at that time. But it got me into that world. So it was sort of the beginning. For people who don't know what Bell's palsy is, my understanding is that it causes a severe droop um, and a, la- a lack of feeling, I think, on one side of your face, usually around the same age group. A really good friend developed it. We worked in financial services as well, interestingly enough, and it shocked him to his core because it was such a physical pronouncement of something. And it just really it rocked his world. And so it, it was amazing to see that that is one of the things that you had experienced on your, your way into yoga or kind sure. of as the gateway to yoga. It just really throws you for a loop when that kind of thing happens. It strikes more uh, like healthy people. So it's sort of you're surprised. Uh, I had never been sick or anything like that. And, you know, we rely on our face in our, in our culture a lot. And so I don't think I would have turned in the direction. I wasn't headed in the direction of contemplative practices at all. Like uh, looking back, I would not wish only way I think I would have turned inward. There's, I'm sort of great. I'm grateful mm-hmm. at this point. Yeah. But. That kind of gives me goosebumps because I think for a lot of us, there's something often in life that happens and then it does become the thing that leads us somewhere different. It's so interesting to hear your story about it. And I'm really excited after last year, the whole theme was finding joy in the messy middle. This year I'm going with um, comfort and joy. So I think there's a lot to learn about both from the yoga practices and the insights that you offer, but also your story of the invitation to turn inward and start to find comfort when maybe the world doesn't seem like it offers it, but that we can find a comfort for ourselves inside or, or through other practices. So I'm excited to jump into breath right now because it's one of those things that's been so central to all of us with COVID and wildfires here. I live in California and George Floyd and all of these things feel like they're pointing into breath and air for us. What do we need to know about breath from a yoga perspective? With yoga, breath is sort of where the magic happens. And actually in a lot of life, I think uh, if you're an athlete, you know, you're a laboring mother, you know this. We don't pay attention to our breath because we don't have to. So it's so obvious. We don't realize the power that it holds. But the yogis uh, have been unraveling and harnessing the power of the breath for millennia. So there's a lot to learn from yoga. But, and also I think science is really starting to research and it's becoming more mainstream now, especially with um, psychology and people that are suffering from anxiety and depression or just regular people, how much it can help. The foundation of yoga is this mind, body, spirit, connection. The word yoga itself means union. And what that means is this alignment within ourselves. So the breath, when you bring your attention to the breath, you immediately create a mind-body connection. So you bring your mind to your breath. A teacher in a yoga class will say, follow your breath or bring the attention to the breath. Feel the ribs expand as you inhale, relax as you exhale. So that brings your mind into the body, feeling your ribs expand your ribs relax. So it takes your mind away from the thoughts. And that's the key. We're usually in our thoughts, a little above our head, floating in our thoughts. And that disconnects us. We need thoughts, obviously. That's how we navigate through life. But we can't let that run our life. 
So when we think about the breath, bring it into our body, feel the breath in the nose, we're creating that mind-body connection. So that's the first step. That's the foundation. That's the key. And then there's so many ways you can take it from there. Even just noticing the breath throughout the day, it will tell you your state of mind. If you're relaxed, the breath will be slow and deep. If you're stressed out, it'll be shallow and high. And what you learn in yoga is you can reverse that loop. So if you're starting to get stressed out, you're feeling the breath get shallow. And that will actually affect your physiology. So that's just a little tool that we have and you can access. And there's many more of those. I notice sometimes if I'm paying attention and I'm being mindful is I will catch myself just Mm -hmm. holding my breath. (laughs) You know, of course, that's not good somatically, but it's an interesting thing to be like aware enough to catch yourself in your breath. And I hadn't even really thought about yoga or about what you were saying about reversing it, but that you do have the power then to get back into the somatics of it to take yourself out of whatever your physiological response has been. Yes, I try and remember to take a couple deep breaths when I'm (laughs) holding it for whatever reason. Yes, and I'm sure holding the breath probably helped us on our evolutionary journey. If we were being hiding from a tiger, we had to hold our breath, we had to be quiet. But now, so when we get shocked and gasp and hold our, it's, it's not helping us because our stress is different. It's, it's a misfire text. We're like, oh no, did I just send that to the wrong person? Right? We don't really need to hold our breath. <laughs> it's not going to help us survive. <laughs> what you said about you're aware of it now and you aware of holding your breath, that's the key. Honestly, that's the key of yoga, this expanding our awareness And then making these choices, like noticing I'm not breathing in a balanced way. We weren't really taught what to do with these different emotions. And so one way to deal with, you know, how our body is responding to our environment is using the breath. You mentioned slowing down your breath if you feel like you're in an anxious state. And I know there's great practices in the book. Do you have one that maybe you'd want to share or recommend for someone who wants to get back into a calmer space, if they notice they're either holding their breath or their breath is racing, like, is there some simple way to get back? Absolutely. I, I love breath for calming down because there's so much stress in our world. But there's also breathing techniques to create more energy, like a Kapalabhati breathing, which is sharp exhales, which are like morning, morning breath work. Uh, breath work is called pranayama in yoga, and it's one of the eight limbs of yoga. It's really a central part of yoga. But one breath that's great if like you're stuck in traffic and you start to feel like, oh no, and you start to think about what's going to happen because I'm late and the, you know, the domino effect and your mind starts going. So it's to come back into your body and do what's called dirga swasam or three-part breathing, where you breathe in, with your inhale, you expand your belly, then your ribs, then the upper torso, collarbones lift, pause, and then exhale from the top, relax the collarbones, relax the ribs, draw the belly in to get all the air out, and make that motion smooth. And again, it's inhale lower, mid, upper, exhale from the top. And that three-part breathing Breathing, breathing really does help to calm. You have to consciously keep it slow because we always want to speed things up. But that's a, just a nice technique for calming the body down and not getting the 
normal physiological stress response chemicals that are coming if you're in a stressful situation and you can't move. You're at your desk or you're in a car because sometimes just getting up walking will help. But if you can't do that, it's not good. It's really not healthy. So that's a nice breath to keep the body calm. Mm, yes. Well, and I noticed I was, I was breathing while you were saying that. And when you get up to the collarbone section, it's a little bit harder, right? Like, I don't even think I ever think about how that section of my body relates to breath. So that's super, that bounces you right back into the body itself because you're like, wait, am I doing this? And yeah, then I can't hold space. Well, not a lot of space, at least for traffic. <laughs> what I'm thinking about is my collarbone moving. You're not thinking about or what's going to happen when you get there and how if people are going to be mad and, you know, all those other things that our mind, unfortunately, loves that worst case scenario. So it'll keep you, if there's nothing you can do, <laughs> you might as well work on that. I know in your book, you talk about surrender as well. I feel like that's also a little bit of, the, the, it's partnered there with the breath and surrender being also kind of part of yoga. It's so hard to take ourselves back from that, that ledge of, oh my gosh, I'm going to be late or I'm not going to get to my kid in time or whatever the most recent version of that is for you. But like just knowing all will be well. Everyone's going to be fine. <laughs> this will work. I don't know if you want to talk a little bit more about surrender and how that works in a modern situation. Sure. And I think you're hitting on kind of like the key parts of yoga, really, because when you say surrender, it's also that idea of being in the moment, not going ahead or rehashing the past. These are all ways to stay in the moment, in the present, being mindful. There's lots of ways to say it. But with our the way that our mind operates and also the way that our culture we're conditioned by our culture. We're always thinking forward, like what's the future going to be, planning or thinking backward, a lot of times in a negative way, regretting. So we miss what's happening and we miss actually our optimal decisions in a way, but also just what's happening in the moment. So these are all ways to stay in the moment, but surrender from a yogic perspective is not quitting or waving the white flag. It's being okay with what is happening and not using energy to resist or defend the situation. It's being with it. It's not that you're not caring or not doing your best. It's just accepting what is, not using the energy to fight it, and then responding with conscious awareness or just consciously. And that's a practice. There's and there's ways there's ways to practice that. Or I think as you read the book, there's lots of ideas like this. There's sort of foundational yogic ideas. And you'll see or recognize what you kind of know and you understand, or what you where you may be like, ooh, I have to work on that. And then there's some techniques and things to help with that. Yeah. Because so often it's not necessarily the moment that's painful or the event that's painful, but it's our own thoughts and our own reactions to what's happening that wrap us up in painful thoughts. But like it is our reaction to something that makes it painful. I mean, we could also have physical pain, but when we can know that we're going to be well and rely on our breath and all of that, it's like an invitation <laughs> just to try and do the practice. Yeah. I also think when we do yoga, we're not trying to get out of pain because in life, there's pain of all kinds. You know, bad things happen, but we don't want to make it worse. We want to take that step back and 
do the practices that give us just a little distance so we're not completely swept away or swept up by what's happening or make it making it worse by our thoughts, by dreading worst case scenarios or keep bringing up bad things either. We want to be in the moment and just live to our fullest. And again, recognizing, yeah, there's pain and you can feel it and it's uncomfortable, but that's part of being human. And we can't skip that either, you know, as much as we may want to. As you're saying that, I'm listening and I'm also thinking like, it feels like it is a space with which we're holding pain and hopefully many of us looking for what is also joyful in the moment. Like it, it really is an interesting time if you just can step back from it a little bit of how do we find comfort in this time when everything and every day feels like it's just another shocking thing that you didn't really think you were going to run into in our lifetime, maybe. It's such an interesting balance when you look at it from the kind of philosophical point of view. Well, I have to say, saying that, I have to, it, uh, for me, it brings great comfort that we have archaeological evidence of somebody sitting in meditation, legs crossed, hands in a mudra, 5,000 years ago a clay seal that was found in India. So this idea of trying to find comfort, joy, trying to live a full life, reach our potential, it's a human condition. And what I think is so beautiful about yoga is that it recognizes that if we let the mind, if we think we are our thoughts, if we let the mind run the show, it's that's painful. The mind is about not the present moment. It's about the future and the past. And it's it the mind is not bad. Our thoughts are not bad. It's just we are not our thoughts. They are not who we are. And yoga gives us basically the roadmap of finding out who we are. Because if we're not the thoughts, then who the heck are we? This, if we're not this voice in our head, our judgments, our opinions, our personality, who are we? And yoga's like, I'm not going to tell you the answer because you have to find it yourself, but here's how. And I just think that's so beautiful. And so finding comfort, finding joy is understanding, okay, not I'm not the thoughts. What am I? And when you even just glimpse that, that's the most beautiful comfort and joy. So it's worth it, the road. It's worth the getting on the road for that. However you choose to. There's not one way. We're all different. You don't have to believe anything. This is just here's a really good roadmap. There's others, but here's here this one kind of lays it all out. So it's that's what I think is so beautiful. Yeah. That's so beautiful. I mean just even the reflection. So thank you for sharing the part about 5000 years ago even. This is this human condition has always been present for us, that there's always going to be things that are painful in the now, That, but there's also always going to be that desire to figure out, okay, but what's the meaning here? And who am I in this construct of time? So interesting. And I think the hard thing for us, or maybe just for me, but is that none of us have really faced anything of these magnitudes in our lifetime. So that's an interesting thing. And I realized since it's a podcast, like we're kind of dancing around both the physical and the 
I guess, philosophical or, you know, heady parts of the study of yoga. I don't know if you want to jump in a little bit and talk about how the poses or the physicality of yoga can help someone with opening their heart or finding more comfort during this time. Because I feel like that gets missed a little bit (laughs) in an audio discussion. I'd love to hear more about it too. Sure. The physical aspect for every chapter, depending on the topic, whether it's silence or present moment awareness or the yamas and niyamas or chakras, different poses that will help bring out like opening the heart, for instance. And so first, I guess movement in general is essential. So if you can move... It's always, obviously, taking a walk does make you feel better. We all know this. But the ancient yogis created these poses to cone in in different areas of the body energetically to help us feel good. So backbending poses, that doesn't mean we're in these crazy poses. It may be leaning, laying down on your back, putting a rolled towel or a little cushion behind your heart. So you're kind of laying on it. And it opens your shoulders. As you relax more, it opens your shoulders and it creates a little bit of a back bend. And you can breathe there. And it counteracts when we're feeling sad. We tend to slouch a little bit because we're protecting the heart area. If we're heartbroken about anything, you know, it's very hard to stand up straight. It's a protection. And opening the heart gently while you take slow breaths can really help to get the energy moving and it helps you to feel better. If you're feeling disempowered, a little insecure about something, warrior poses are very empowering. Physically, they make you feel better. And all the poses have different um, effects on the body. So that often is the starting point for people to understand yoga. So it's really the first way to bring the mind into the body and to realize you're not the thoughts that, you know, and if you're in yoga class and you're doing a pose and, you know, you finish your 60 minutes, you're walking, you're like, why do I feel so good? I feel both energized and I also feel super calm and steady. Like, why is that? And a lot of it is because you haven't been in your usual habitual thoughts for all that time. You've been in your body breathing, focusing on your breath, moving in ways that get the energy, the prana flowing properly in the body. And this creates energy as well as this steady calmness. It's it's a unique combination. It's more than just a workout. Even though workouts are great, they have their own benefits, many of them. Yoga has a little different effect. And it's because of this combination of movement and the mind on the breath, keeping the breath rhythmic. It's a, you know, really effective practice at that. Yeah. And I know when I've done it, I've been more of a Bikram person in the past. I know one of the challenges for me and that I appreciate about it is that my brain wants to either judge everything I'm doing. (laughs) That's wrong. You're not as capable as the other person, whatever it is. Or it's just like you said, the invitation just to return back to myself and back to my own breath and keep my eyes on my own Matt. So I think there's also something really refreshing about that, that it's that invitation to, you know, just pay attention to the present moment and to your own <laughs> business. Yeah, it's refreshing. And that's the nature of it. It's so delightful, too. 
Yeah. And I think when you take a yoga class or you do your own practice at home, you don't have to go anywhere, but you sort of see how your mind reacts. You watch it. You're watching. Am I competing? Why? Like I must be, then you notice I probably do that out in the world or am I feeling self-conscious about something else? Maybe I'm, I'm like that in the world. And I think it's a good kind of lesson or am I in my thoughts all the time? And you notice that you are for the first time. So you can bring that out into the world, these practices of coming back to the breath, coming out of the thoughts. I love that. And, and I say that I love that, but yeah, it's, it's hard in the moment, of course, because <laughs> it's a battle with yourself. It's a practice. And I feel that way. And as I'm talking, please, people do yoga because they need yoga. And I'm right with you. Like, it's a practice for sure. And um, I don't think it's an end ever ever ending practice. I know there's these concepts of enlightenment and masters and all, but I think you can't really even think of that. You just, you just incrementally grow. What I think is great though, is that as you get a little bit more awareness, it creates a little bit more happiness or joy within. So it's incremental. Like you don't have to, you don't have to either I'm terrible at this or I got it. It's not like that. There's like, I'm a little bit better. I know when to take a breath. I can see myself getting really angry and I know what to do. Like sometimes, sometimes you can lose it. That's okay. We're human. But it's the idea of it's a slow road and be patient, but there's no rush. We have our whole lives. Hopefully with, you know, we, it's long. Hopefully we have a lot of time to work on this, but, but it's not like we have to get anything done by a certain point. It's fine. It's just expanding our awareness slowly but surely. And as with anything that's self-care or personal growth kind of practice, it is something that you can continue to return back to. And it's almost like any time that you feel like maybe you lost your way on it or whatever, it's also an invitation to learn more because, yeah, the time that maybe I lose it or I'm frustrated because the traffic's not moving or whatever, like each of those is that invitation to like, oh, here we go. We get to practice this again. So um, I like that it provides that framework for people to also understand, like you're saying, like this isn't just, there there isn't necessarily a a destination or a final end point that we're going to reach with any of these practices. Because life is continually changing and giving us different, I'll say it nicely, providing different challenges. And you're right, like now these days, it seems it's a lot. And we have, we all have a lot to handle. It seems like a little too much, but that's the nature of life. And we don't know what's going to happen. There's a great quote I love from one of the ancient Indian masters, pain and pleasure are the banks of the river of life. So we flow, sometimes it's good, sometimes it's not, not that we're judging, but it's, it's life, pain and pleasure, and we flow through it. And that's what life is. So we should accept that and not add to it with dread or clinging to the good things, <laughs> clinging, worrying they're going to leave us when we have them. And, and that's the practice, staying in the present moment and letting life flow and using our conscious awareness to do our best. I love that. Thank you. Because I think that does also tie into obviously, because it's all the same practice, but it really ties into that idea of Santosha, but it is the idea of contentment. Because I feel like when you're, when you understand that pain and pleasure are the banks of the river of life, then if you can stay in the stream, 
then you can notice where the, the, well, the pain or the pleasure shows up. But when the purpose is to stay in the stream, it's not so much that you're going to cling to any one side of those things. Would you explain a little bit about what Santosha is and how it relates to joy? Absolutely. You picked the exact one that relates to joy because Santosha is Sanskrit for the word contentment or gratefulness. It's one of the 10 yamas and niyamas. In yoga, yamas and niyamas are the first two limbs of the eight-limbed path. So I don't want to get too in the weeds there. With That's part of the Yoga Sutras, an ancient foundational yogic text. So there's 10, five yamas, five niyamas. So they've been called the Yoga Ten Commandments, but there's no punishment or judgment if you if they go awry it's really the ancient yogis telling us these practices these 10 yamas and niyamas are what will keep you in alignment with your true nature if you go away from these you're going to be unhappy it's going to make life harder so try to stay with them it's not about punishment here maybe i'll read them is that okay if i read the 10 so the first is ahimsa nonviolence truthfulness, non-stealing. Those are the first three. Brahmacharya is like moderation or self-control and then non-greed. And the niyamas are cleanliness or purity, santosha, contentment, tapas is um, discipline, Uh, swajaya is study, and the last one is surrender to a higher power. So each one of the yamas and niyamas When you practice it, the yogis tell us there's a power or a gift you get from each. So for instance, nonviolence, the gift is when you master that, which we don't need to master, but the gift would be, or the power is all hostilities around you cease. For contentment, the power, which makes it so appropriate for you to bring up, is supreme joy. And it's interesting that science is coming to this as well. There's a lot of books now on the study of happiness. And they all talk about this practice of gratefulness is really important. So they're catching up to the yoga, the ancient yogis. But um, so contentment, I don't know about you, but I thought it was just something that arose that we really weren't in control of. Like if it's storming outside, and you're inside nice and warm and safe, you feel contentment. It's like a feeling. It's not That's what I thought contentment was. But the yogis say, nope, it's a practice. You you actually can cultivate contentment. And if you do, it will make you happy. So so I think that's interesting and kind of empowering. So how can you do that? (laughs) And there's different ways, different meditations about it, things like that. But one way that's very popular and super effective is keeping a journal keeping a gratefulness journal every day, writing maybe 10, if that's too many, five things that you're grateful for from that day. Because the way that our brain works, it has so much stimuli. It's got to filter what we really think about. And it's a deeper part of ourselves that is saying how to filter that. So if we keep a gratefulness journal, we're telling our brain we're looking for things that make us happy, that we're happy about, that we're grateful for. And they can be little things like, oh, I love the way the sun shines in the window. Or that, you know, my dog, I love the way that her fur is so soft, whatever. Or they can be big things. That will keep our brains looking 
it's a, it, keeping the perspective positive. So we're not, because our brains tend to be negative because they're trying to, our thoughts are trying to keep us safe. Ooh, don't go there. That's a stranger. That it, it has a negative bias. So we have to kind of counteract that with a practice of contentment. Yes. You're mentioning that some of those things that maybe you notice each day are maybe the big things, but some of them are the tiniest things. And I think that does help. Like it flexes the muscle and trains your brain to look for those and notice them because they really are all around us. It's just, especially now when we're bombarded or surrounded by a lot of things that truly are difficult in life. I think it becomes an even more both crucial, but sometimes difficult practice to look for the things that bring us contentment. How do we, how do we make room for there being the difficult parts? Because and I know that, that this isn't where you're headed with this, or nor is Santosha in any way, the idea of contentment. But I know a lot of people go to the extreme on this and they get into a space of good vibes only, or they make it into something where you're only going to pay attention to those things that bring you happiness and that's all you're going to deal with. And I think that's, it doesn't really leave the balance. How does one leave the, ba- the room for balance of both noticing, but also honoring that there's some really hard things going on? I think that's a really good question because because of the times right now and there is a lot and you're just like it sounds kind of almost stupid to like focus on some good things when you're dealing with major things but it's that taking a step back and not blocking out the good things because that's sort of what we do we have to kind of block it out because there's so much so I think all of yoga is about noticing the thoughts. It's understanding, like, even when something really bad is happening, because I definitely, it's not about, you know, not thinking about what's, it's feeling, feeling what's happening, feeling a painful situation, feeling the discomfort. It's not, our life purpose isn't being comfortable. And it's okay. It's not who we are. It's uncomfortable. You're breathing. It's, it's not negating anything. There's another um, yama or niyama tapas, which is translates as heat burning or spiritual austerities. And we practice this. So for instance, in a yoga class, if you're in a really uncomfortable posture, you know, and your leg it's not, you're in a warrior two and you want to come out of it. Your leg is burning. But the teacher says, you're safe. First of all, you're safe. You're not going to hurt yourself. You know that. But your teacher says, relax around that and breathe and relax your face and your shoulders. You don't have to tense your face and your shoulders. Breathe. Feel that discomfort. You're strengthening yourself when you have to come out, come out and rest. But Feel the discomfort. Don't avoid it. Stay with it. Breathe around it. And know that you will be stronger because of it. Again, we don't want to wish hardships on ourselves. We don't want to hurt ourselves for no good reason. But this is part of our life. Acknowledging the pain, but also acknowledging what's beautiful in your life. And of course, the most important part is from a is this idea that we are not our thoughts. These are judgments that we're making. Even though it's good, it's bad. We're not negating it. We're not pretending it's good if it's bad. 
We're not saying it's bad if it's good, but remembering from an even a deeper perspective, these are thoughts, these are thoughts. And with practice, you will be able to see behind the thoughts or beyond the thoughts, however you want to look at it. And that's a place of, it's really not, you really can't talk about it with words. Words don't, don't cut it, but that's, that's what yoga is leading us to that space. We don't want to miss our lives though. <laughs> we're not just, that's, we're not like tuning out of life to hit that space, but that's there. That's our core. And that's what's keeping us here and in our lives. So, so the yamas and the yamas, just including contentment, including the, the, the hard, the difficulties help us to deal and to, to align with our true nature and to live as fully as optimally as we can without pretending just just being just being who we are we're all different yeah i like that so the yamas and the yamas are like our little guidelines yeah and it does seem like when you can sit in that space of acknowledging that there is both good and and bad but it, once you disengage from some of the emotional response that we have about what is then we can also work on making it better and we can be more effective in the moment because we're not just coming from an emotional place we can approach it from maybe a, a more centered place and i think that's part of the key here and thank you thank you for putting that context around it i think that's extremely helpful like there's so much good stuff in there just to i know i'm going to be gnawing on that for a while so thank you but you know ultimately what you said is about action like you know this idea of you know when we do our practice what is the what is it going to lead to well we're going to be healthier mentally, physically, spiritually, and we're going to be more useful in the world. We're going to be able to be of use. And that's the rewarding feeling too, that can bring happiness and joy in whatever way that is for you. If someone wants to find their way into learning more about yoga, your book is a wonderful resource. Are there some simple things you would recommend um, they could do in the day-to-day? to get acquainted with yoga so that it could maybe become part of their life? The, for me, the most, I think, helpful thing to do uh, that would help everyone, and I'm, what I'm super passionate about, is meditation, to begin a meditation practice. And I'm talking dedicate five to seven minutes a day to start. And I know it's a lot of people say, oh, I tried that. It's hard. My mind is too active. I can't do that. <laughs> but that's kind of how it is for everyone. At least 5,000 years ago, we know it was someone was trying. And so it's the human condition. So just accept that. It's not you. It's, it's nothing personal. <laughs> it's just how our minds work. So, but that's why we have tools and techniques. These techniques, if you find one that matches up with your personality, really helps. And then it'll click, but it takes, it takes a couple of weeks, but then you'll start, it'll start to feel good. Kind of like exercise. You know, it's like after you have a good workout, you're like, why don't I do this every day? Well, I think meditation is more powerful than that, but it's the same idea. Oh gosh, you know, why don't I do this? But you only need five to seven minutes to start and you will reap the benefits. However, you can do that. And there's lots of technology now to help. I recommend working with a teacher, just getting that intro kind of workshop. That helps. But 
however you can do it, start meditating. I know when I first started meditating was through a Franciscan retreat center and we did a a centering prayer technique which is more of a guided meditation and so I also like you saying that kind of find the way that works for you is so important because some people do need more structure um, maybe even just to start so they get past that thing where their mind is just going 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 and that's all they notice (laughs) because that's so hard it can be that's the first thing most people say my mind's too busy there's like layers of thought but you work with the breath and you work with the mantra. Then what happens, there's many people who, when they quiet, it's, it's, it's almost terrifying. You know, fears come up, bad memories. We all have different degrees of trauma. So if that happens, that can also just shut the book. Like, nope, I'm not, not going to meditate. I don't want to go there. So if that happens, like honor that. Sometimes, you know, you have to get some help, talk to a friend, seek a therapist, a counselor, because maybe that's ready to to come up. So that's, you have to be ready for that too. And this is, when you go into the mind, it's some serious work. And so we have to honor that part of it. Yes. And I've, I've, I've wrestled some of my own things for sure. And the good news is on the other side of that, I feel that there is more capacity for joy and and comfort and kind of a, an inner knowing of who you are. And, and while that's not air quotes, the goal, I think it does naturally happen. So if you're in that space, maybe you can take heart that it does get better once you dive in, even though it's scary in the moment, for sure. Yeah. You know, now there's been so much scientific research stress on the benefits of meditation. I mean, it's ridiculous. It reduces so many chemicals that are bad for you for stress. Um, increases your immune system. If you're that, you know, kind of mind that is more science oriented, you're like, okay, I've done the research. I want to meditate. You know, that's there. If you're, you know, just wanting to be more creative and trying to figure out, you know, I'm kind of lost in my life. I need a little more direction. Meditation will help. Like it both ends of the spectrum. I would love to have you tell us if someone is has heard this conversation and they want to learn more about what you do and maybe how to get involved with yoga and where to find your book. Thank you. The book is available now. So happy about that. Amazon and bookstores. And my website is PamelaSeelig.com. And on the website, I have um, some resources, some meditations, some, some yoga classes just on YouTube. And also I teach a course, an introduction to meditation course. It's over three weeks, just one hour a week. And you do the work yourself, just gives a little guidance. So that's been really helpful for people because it's all online. That's what I've been doing over the pandemic is um, doing uh, mostly meditation classes online. So it's a good way to start, but there's other ways. So feel free, however you get started is great. That's wonderful. I'll link up to all those. Those are such important resources, especially now, because I think a lot of us don't necessarily know what to do with all the thoughts and feeling like it is fairly overwhelming just day to day. So Mm -hmm. thank you very much for offering that out to, to everybody. And the last question that I like to ask everyone is what are three ways that you can think of to jumpstart joy in your life, in the world, or in other people's lives? I think the first thing is take a look at yourself and see what you might need. Maybe you need more movement. So put a walk in or do a class if you can. But just 
I think that brings joy, a little movement. Second is meditate. I think you really need to meditate. And the third is just think about what you're doing every day. One thing that you just really want to do or you'd like to do, whether it's listening to good music or going to a bookstore and just schedule that into your life. Make, put yourself, make yourself important enough to do something that you love to do every day, no matter how little it is. <laughs> I love all of those. And especially just those little things that people can do that like they know lights mm-hmm. them up. It's so very important. So thank you so much for being on the show, Pamela. It's been such a treat to get to meet you. Oh, thank you for having me. I've really enjoyed our conversation. Pamela, thank you so much for joining me on this episode and for this lovely conversation. I love your book so much, and it is such a delight to have gotten to talk to you about meditation and breathing and Santosha. So thank you so very much. Now, if you're tuning in and you want to find out more about Pamela and her book, you can find everything you need to know over at the website at jumpstartyourjoy.com forward slash episode 296. While you're there, you can find the link to her book. I will also be putting in a link for you to go try out a centering prayer meditation that I recorded on Insight Timer. It's totally free. The link will be there for you on the website. The other thing that I'm so excited to announce for season seven, I know if you're still listening here at the very end, you're a total fan and I love you for that. I'm going to be doing a series of giveaways this season. And they're meant to celebrate those of you who are followers of Jumpstart Your Joy on your favorite podcasting app and those of you who are tuning in every week through those apps. So here's how it works. This month, so through November 30th of 2021, I'm going to be giving away just one bundle, which will include a copy of my book, a $15 Apple iTunes gift card, a Tile Mate, which is a little device that you can attach to your keys or your backpack or your purse, and then you can track it via an app on your phone. It's the best. And a very beautiful custom candle from 5B and Co that have been made just for Jumpstart Your Joy. Oh my goodness. Thank you, Marsha Flowers, for that, who's also been on the show. Um, but that's your little bundle. Now, if you want to be entered for a chance to win, all you got to do is take a screenshot showing me that you are a follower of Jumpstart Your Joy on your favorite podcasting app and email that to me at jumpstartyourjoy at gmail.com. That's all you got to do. Send it in. I will close this out November 30th of 2021 and I will announce the winner in December and then we'll go on to the next one. I'm really excited to send these out and to share a little bit of the joy and magic that happens here at the Jumpstart HQ, aka my kitchen. (laughs) And I just want to say thank you all so much for tuning in and for being a very special part of this community. I'm also excited about the rest of these conversations that we are getting to have about intentional comfort here on Jumpstart Your Joy in season seven. I hope you will come on back next week. That's right, next week. We've gone weekly again. Until then, I hope that your days are filled with so much joy.